0: Alright. Well, hi, Crosspoint. How are we? Oh, man. I was doing great till Jerry prayed. Uh, Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Seriously. Love you, dude. Um, Well, how are we? How's your families? How's your dogs? How's your kids? Good. Good. We're all caught up now. That's good. Yeah, it feels good to be here today. It really does. There was plenty of days over these last few months where I wasn't sure I'd ever be up here again. Uh, I don't mean here. I mean anywhere. And so to be able to be here today uh, feels good. And um, huge thanks again to everyone who's just been thinking of us and praying for us and sending along uh, some encouragement along the way. Um, It it has meant more than we would be able to express to you. And so uh, just feel hugely blessed uh, to be a part of this community, and so huge thanks. Uh, I wrestled a lot with what to say over these last two sermons that are coming up. Uh definitely felt like I couldn't have just walked up on stage and launched into a sermon like I've done a hundred times before. Uh, that would have been a little weird, uh, and so I, I want to talk about what I've been learning over these last few months, but at the same time, I recognize that this stage is not for story time with Mark. The stage is about Jesus and his kingdom, and so I'm going to do my best to combine those two things and to talk a little bit about my story, but more importantly, to talk about the God who is good, our God who is faithful, our God who carries us through every season of life. And so hopefully, that's how it will go tonight. Um, If you're thinking, I feel like I've heard you preach this sermon before two or three years ago, uh, you have. I, I was up here a couple summers ago, maybe three, and, um, and, and just kind of thought like, oh, that's me dodging a bullet. Phew, that was a close one. And, and what that should have been for me was like a yellow light. When you're like driving into the intersection and you know you're not going to make it and the yellow light comes up, you should in theory stop. Uh, but much like real life, I did not. And had all the warning signs and just kept plowing through and thought, I'll be OK. And just like you get through the intersection and you avoided a collision or a ticket, um, it doesn't always work like that. And so a few years ago, I thought I had made it through no consequences. It was going to be great and uh, most definitely did not. And so um, so this <laughs> this is how it really went. Uh, and, and so let's rewind a little bit and talk about uh, kind of last year, go back to last fall, last summer even. Uh, it was a bit of a hard season. It was a bit of a stressful season. And, and it wasn't anything major that was going on. Uh, it was just Hired for a variety of personal reasons and ministry reasons at at the church. Uh, We were, it was stressful. We were wrestling with some pretty big things as a church. We were wrestling with South Campus, the future of South Campus. What are we going to do about this? There was a lot of meetings, a lot of discussions. It was heavy stuff. It wasn't bad. It was just a heavier than usual season at the church. We were making decisions that were going to affect hundreds of people. And that's, that's not light. Um, and, and at home, we were working through quite a bit of stuff. Uh, we, we were going through this ongoing roller coaster of a ride, of an adoption that was never, ever, ever going to be finalized. It is now. Amen. Um, yeah. And so we were still wrestling with that, and we had just welcomed a newborn foster baby into our home. Um, she was born in the NICU and was addicted to some substances, and we and had the incredible blessing. Of having her in our life and in our home for a while Um, and and she kind of unexpectedly branched off into an older foster child uh, teenager and so we welcomed her into our home as well it's a beautiful story and we were so glad that we got to be a part of that story but for a couple months we were a family of eight uh, with kids ranging from newborn to 15 and it was a lot Uh, it was a beautiful gift and the story is still happening and it's awesome but it was a lot and so I would come home from a very stressful time at work into a home that was very stressful and worried about how all these people at church were going to handle all these things. And I would come home worried about six kids, half of whom weren't even my own, and then throw on top of that just normal life, just tight family finances and kids struggling with school and with anxiety. It was, it was just a lot. It was just one of those seasons. Nothing was extraordinary about it. It was just heavy. And, and I didn't even recognize it. You you don't often recognize the toll that some of that stuff takes on you until later. And so I thought I was fine. I had always loved life. I loved church. I loved my family. Uh, All those good things can't be bad, right? But I wasn't myself. And I hadn't been probably for quite a while, even before that. And uh, I I used to have fun. Like I I thought, didn't I used to be fun? I remember thinking one day, I used to laugh a lot. I used to laugh out loud a lot, and I felt like I hadn't been doing that. I used to wake up excited for the day. My wife would call me a Pop-Tart because I would just get out of bed like, all right, it's a new day. This is going to be great. And, and I was never like the type A, like, drive, hustle, and grind kind of guy. But it was like, well, today will be good. Like, I was just light and optimistic and, and excited. And, and instead, every day felt hard. Every day felt like a thing to get through not a thing to enjoy. And I would go to bed every night, not just tired, but almost defeated. Like, okay, we did it, but we got to do it again in about eight hours, right? Like, that was the mentality that I was living in. And um, I just, I had never really lived that way before, and I realized I was stuck there. And so one day, I was at the office, and I asked Catherine, uh, who was at the front desk that day, must have had a, just kind of a weird, vulnerable moment. I remember looking at Catherine and asking, am I different than I used to be? Right, usually, I would ask Catherine, can you email this? So I, th- I think I caught her off guard. And I was like, am I different than I used to be? And she is not a liar, God bless her. I think she wanted to. And she just kind of said, yeah, you're not the same. And I knew that, that something was off. And that had been my life for really most of 2018. And despite a lot of the best people in my life reaching out to me and asking, are you okay? Like, do you need a break? Do you need a rest? Is, is, is this all right? I, I just thought I was okay. This is how life goes. This is normal. Right? Isn't this how life is? Which, in hindsight, that is a terrible way to live. That is not how life is. And I remember making it through Christmas and thinking about it that way. If I can just make it through Christmas... We'll get to that week off between New Year, uh, Christmas and New Year's. We'll have some downtime. This will be good. And we had a family trip planned to go to Nova Scotia, visit some family, visit some friends. It was going to be great. And uh, on Christmas Day, I got a phone call uh, that our own uh, Art Hatfield was sick and, and in the hospital. I love Art. Man, I love that guy. And, and, and so I obviously, I, w- I went right into the hospital to see him, and I got to pray with him and Sally, and it was a memory that I will cherish forever. And, and later that day, he passed away, and we began making those funeral arrangements, and so we put our, our trip on hold, and we just didn't get the rest. We thought, I don't say any of that to make Sally or Art feel bad. I would have done it again in a heartbeat, and I feel honored and blessed I got to be a part of it. The issue wasn't the circumstance, it was that I was already too far gone. And it wouldn't have mattered what had happened at that point, but that is what had happened, and I just thought that was one more push where there should have been not a push. And I didn't, I didn't stop enough to think, well, I should make up that time elsewhere. Oh, I should, I should realign my schedule to do that later. Oh, well, you just like, well, no, we're back at it. Full steam ahead. And it was back to school and back to work. And at that point, I knew, oh, oh I'm most definitely not OK. And uh, I felt numb. I didn't feel super sad, but I also didn't ever feel super happy. I think I would say it like this. I was not emotions. There was just no emotions. How are you feeling today? I'm not. Like, it wasn't a high. It wasn't a low. It was just this void in between of nothing. And, and, and I didn't even feel tired, but I didn't feel rested. I felt like I couldn't gauge my level of energy. Like, if someone were to say, all right, you're a phone battery. Are you at 80% in the green or are you at 15% in the red? I could not have told you. I have no idea. All of the compasses in your life that are supposed to direct you, all of the measuring sticks in your life that you're used to gauge how you're feeling, were just gone, they were just spinning. It was the most disorienting feeling in the world, to not know how you felt, to not know how energetic you were. It was just like floating in space, I imagine. I've never done that, but I feel like that's a little bit of how it felt like. And I never wanted to hurt myself. Uh, It never got to a point where I wanted to do that, but I will say for the first time in my life, I saw the appeal of suicide. I saw the appeal of it. I I wasn't going to do it, but I was thinking about it favorably, which is alarming. And, And what I thought about it favorably was that the thought of death felt like relief. The thought of death felt like peace. Death would have been an escape. I wanted those things. I wanted relief. I wanted escape. I wanted peace. And I thought, well, that would be one way to get it. I can see why people do that. And it was that day that I realized I was thinking those things, that I got on the phone with a trusted friend who had been working through his own battle with depression for years. And I made it about halfway through my explanation, and he was like, call a doctor. Just don't get off the phone with me and call a doctor. And so I did, and I got into my family doctor literally the next day and uh, told him all the same things I told you, thought I was depressed, thought he would write me a prescription, and he said, you are just 150% burnt out. And he used that number, which is that's not a real number, percentages max out at 100. But he said, you are 150% burnt out. And, and he just said, what that means is that you are entirely depleted, not just physically, but emotionally. You, you just, there's nothing left in the tank. And he said, you need to make some significant life changes or things just aren't going to go well for you. And so he he recommended being off work. He said for at least three to six months, probably the latter more than the former. He goes, you you might have to change professions. You guys are going to have to stop fostering. You might, this is going to be a major shift for your entire family. I was shocked. I was upset. I thought, can't you just write me a prescription? Because I was going to plan on going home, take a pill and head back to the office. I still had (laughs) hot coffee on my desk, right? Like I was going back and I did not go back. That day, I was not prepared for that. I was not prepared to have that conversation with my wife. Uh, but I will say, man, I will be forever grateful to this church and for the board and for the leadership who said, "You do what you got to do. Don't even worry about it. Don't think about the details. We'll take care of things. It's going to be okay." And and so on the same day, I met with a doctor. I I did not go back to the office and. Uh, Church, that is a gift. There's a lot of people who have jobs that if they had have told that to their boss, it would have been, well, take the weekend off, see you Monday. And what an unbelievable blessing it has been to be part of such a supportive community of people uh, who love their pastor. That is not lost on me, and uh, what a gift that has been. Within the first week or two, I was off to a full weekend counseling retreat with a Christian psychologist and counselor in St. Martin's and we began some pretty deep hard work. Um, I I had things in my life that I had not worked through for years. I I had things in my life that had happened to be some pretty life altering things that I just kind of pushed down and kept on moving forward and thought I'll be okay. Uh, I had some trauma in my life that I didn't realize had never been healed. I didn't even think I had trauma in my life. That's for people who have gone through a hard thing. And, uh, man, I was, I was wrecked from some stuff that had happened years ago and broken ways of thinking. Man, I had just believed all the lies of the enemy that said, you have no value as a person. You don't have what it takes to be a pastor. You don't have the capacity to be a leader. Um, like, this was well beyond my schedule is too full. And this was just a full-scale attack on my beliefs and on my head and on my heart. And so I fought a lot with myself and with God about my calling. I fought a lot with God about my theology. What do I believe in the first place? I was convinced I would be better off selling TVs at Best Buy. I thought, like, that's, that's obviously the logical next step. And, and I wondered a lot for a long time, is ministry worth it? Like, what makes ministry worth it? It's just pressure and stress every day you live in a glass house you're under a microscope you're just a target of criticism for every single decision that you make big or small all these expectations on what it looks like to lead a church and to grow a church and to build a church and i was just who would want to be a pastor in contentious times in 2019 like this is not nonsense who would do this what's the reward what's the payoff i'm not saying these are good healthy thoughts i'm saying they were my thoughts And I was like, this is dumb. Obviously, I'm going to get better by jumping off this ship. God is so good. And our God is so faithful. Our God is unbelievably patient and kinder than we can imagine. And the promise in Scripture is that he'll never leave us or abandon us. And in our darkest moments, when we are numb and jaded, when we are discouraged and distant it's not that he has left. Whenever you feel distant from God, it's not on his end. It's usually on our end. And, and as time went on, as things started to progress, not after days, not after weeks, but after months, started to feel a little better. After a pile of counseling sessions, I started to feel better. After learning some better, healthier ways of thinking and believing, of digging into Scripture and being silent with Jesus, those, one of my greatest lessons was you just need to sit down and be quiet with the Lord. And I read this one day, and it has stuck with me ever since. This is Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. It comes from the message paraphrase. And this is Jesus talking. He says, are you tired, worn out? Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound great? That was that was cold water to a guy that had been in the desert for way too long. And these words like unforced rhythms, that the way God works is unforced. He's not pushing, he's not pressuring. The idea that, that you could live freely and lightly, the idea that life didn't have to be heavy or feel ill-fitting. It, I had not felt that for a long time, but even worse than that, I hadn't believed it for a long time. I didn't buy it, I didn't think it was true. People who woke up excited about their life, I was like, You are liars. Right? All these other pastor friends that I've got, man, it's the weekend, best day of the week. I was like, You are a liar. Like, where are you getting your excitement? But you can live freely. You can live lightly. I can give you rest. It can be good. And I just, I hadn't bought it for so long. I just thought this is as good as it gets. This is how it will be forever. Life is hard and then you die. Heaven's coming. Amen. It is absolutely, utterly a lie. It is a lie from the enemy. Scripture tells us that our enemy is a thief. And he comes to steal and kill and destroy those are not physical terminologies that is mental and it is spiritual he comes to steal your joy he comes to kill your hope he comes to rob you of your peace and he will lie to you every day that this has to be hard that this has to hurt that it'll never get better than this it's always going to be awful and it's a lie And he does it primarily in the mind. He does it primarily by taking truth and skewing it and and altering it and telling you that it's not really the way that it is. What we know that is truth, what we know of God is that he said this, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. He didn't even just come to give you a good life, an abundant life. He came to give you something that was more than abundant, didn't buy it more than abundant really because that sounds too good to be true the message calls it the more and better life he wants to give you what is more and better here i was thinking that death was going to be my peace that death would have been the gift christ is my peace and life is a gift most of us could probably recite the fruit of the spirit Well, yeah, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. But if you're not experiencing those things regularly, if those aren't the hallmarks of your life, then what it meant for me anyway was that I was no longer living under the power of the Spirit. I was living under the power of my own strength. And I was trying to manufacture my own love and joy and peace and patience I was trying to do it myself. I was trying just to try really hard. But you can't. It was one of my greatest lessons of this whole season. I'm not capable of anything that is deep and supernatural and healing and spiritual and eternal. I'm absolutely not capable of it. But I can do all things through Christ who gives me that strength. I was trying to lead a family on human strength. I was trying to lead a church on human strength. If I just read more books, if I go to more conferences, if I watch some more sermons, emulate more leaders, listen to more podcasts, if, if we change some things, try some things, stop some things, we'll mess with some things, we, we, we'll do this in a way that I think it should be or wh- perhaps what other, other people think it should be. And, and I had, it had really completely become about how capable am I It had become glaringly evident, at least in hindsight, that I was aligning my value with my performance. That I was only as good as the church was doing. I was only as good as my family was doing. I was only as valuable as my leadership skill. If people were pleased with me and things were going well, I was good. If people were not pleased with me and things weren't going well, I was not good. That's a real quick way to die. I wasn't just Mark, I was only Pastor Mark. And I couldn't separate my identity from my ministry. And I was convinced that everyone else felt the same way. That everyone else wanted Mark to get back, but not just Mark, Pastor Mark. The people only wanted Mark to come back to, to lead things or to preach. And what, what, I, what I needed to hear, not just, this isn't personal against you, but I just needed to know, no, 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 do I have value if I never preach another sermon in my life? Do I have value if I don't ever have pastor in front of my name again? Do I have any worth, any significance, if all I do is live this quiet, humble life somewhere in a hobbit hole and no one ever hears my name again on the planet? Am I still worth it? I needed to wrestle with that a lot. And I know that there's a lot of people who wrestle with the same thing. And the truth is that God doesn't need you to do anything for you to be loved for you to be worthy, for you to have value, for you to have any significance in this world, God already delights in you. God is already in love with you. God has already laid down his life for you. He has already been so gracious and so patient, so patient and so kind with us. There is nothing to earn. You don't have to earn his favor. You don't have to earn it. I remember my counselor saying one day, Mark, do you believe that God loves you? And I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I believed that for years. And then he said, Mark, do you believe God's happy with you? Oh, that's different. And the answer was, no, I don't think God's really ever been happy with me. Oh, he loves me for sure. I didn't believe that God was pleased with me. That I had to keep proving it. I had to keep earning it. And I needed to learn the difference between obedience and performance. Scripturally, there's a huge difference between obedience and performance. Obedience is choosing to do what is right to honor God. Performance is working hard at doing what's right to impress Him. They're two very different things. They might look the same on the surface, but they have very different motivations, very different purposes. And I had to learn and really believe that God loves me as His son, no matter what I bring to the table, if I never, ever again bring anything to the table, he loves me. And I have value as his child. I read this great quote by a a Christian author named Sky Jethani. He said this, that God did not send his son to recruit you to change the world. He sent his son to reconcile you to himself. Your value to God is not in your effectiveness. It's in your presence. Man, I needed that. Your value to God is not in your effectiveness. It's just in your presence. He created you to love you, to delight in you. The purpose of our life is to love him and delight in him. And anything else that happens after that is a wonderful bonus blessing. But if that's all that happens, it's okay. We live in a world that equates worth with work. It's no wonder we're all tired. It's no wonder we're all stressed. And, and the remedy, at least for me, was to stop intentionally, daily, and just do less, and just be quiet, and, and not perform, not earn, not contribute for a little while. Just sit. Just sit with Jesus and be present. Just sit with Jesus and listen, to, to just open scripture and, and see what he says, to go outside and take a walk and look at nature and realize that all of nature is screaming out with God's glory and his workmanship, and to realize that none of it depends on me. That the world is still going to keep on spinning whether I'm here or not. That God's church is going to keep on moving forward whether I'm here or not. The Futurist Crosspoint is not dependent on Mark Brewer as the leader or anyone else who follows as the leader. It is precisely because God has built this church, Jesus has built this church, and the gates of hell won't prevail. God doesn't need you to carry his kingdom. Man, I had to wrestle with that theology for a bit. He asks us to. But the whole thing's not going to fall apart if I step away and sit in quiet for a little bit. And so I had to learn. If I pull back, everyone will be okay. And God will be okay too. Man, this verse is such a weird verse. It's just one of those... Weird throwaway verses I came across so many times over my last few months. I don't have it on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, it's uh, I think it's First Thessalonians. I just have Thessalonians. That's helpful. 4.11. And it says this. I love this verse. It says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. What a beautiful verse. And I kid you not, it came up Regularly almost weekly. And and things that I was doing or hearing, I'd open the Bible or I'd talk with someone. Make it your goal to live a quiet life. Minding your own business and just working with your hands. I had to linger in that truth for a little while and sit in silence and realize, that's okay. That is very not 2019. It is very... Not 2019, to sit in silence, to live a quiet life, to mind your business. We have 14 apps on our phone precisely designed to help you not mind your own business. (laughs) And so I sat there for a while in that verse and continued rest, continued prayer, continued counseling for quite a long time. And after a few months, uh, Liz and I had the opportunity, incredible opportunity, uh, to go to a beach far away where the water was turquoise and everything was warm. And it was beautiful. We realized in that moment, we had never done that. We had never taken a vacation with our kids, not present, at least outside of the Maritimes. We will never do that again. (laughs) And it was just never realistic. It was never a possibility. But we had this opportunity. And again, it was such a gift. And every day we woke up and we went and sat by the water. And, and we ate when we wanted, and we slept when we wanted, and we swam when we wanted. All, like, the people at these resorts will try and entice you. You should go on an excursion today. Can I sign you up for an adventure? No. I am going to be right here, and you will find me here seven hours from now when you're back to do your next run. And they were like, are sure, are you okay? I was like, I'm okay. I'm quite okay. And it was wonderful, and it was the first time looking back that I thought, I think I feel good. I think I feel okay. I think I feel energized. I, th- I think I feel a little bit healthy today. And, and we began having conversations on the beach about what does the future need to look like? How do we maintain this? How do we con- to continue to pursue this picture of, of the health that we've gotten and, and the restoration that we're after? What does that look like? What, I don't want to be here five years from now. Because i had plenty of conversations with all kinds of people who said oh i went down this road too happened two or three times actually you'd be astounded at how many people said oh yeah i burnt out or my husband burnt out or whatever two or three times i don't want to do this two or three times what do i do to make sure that this does not happen again how do i build better patterns into my life and we talked at great length about it and we prayed a lot about it and and that's when it started to dawn on us that maybe God is leading us into a season of change because if you want things to change but you don't change anything, you probably won't get to change. That's the problem a lot of the time is that there are things in our life that we want to change. We're not just willing to do the change. I want to be fit and lose weight, but I will not change my eating habits or go to the gym. (laughs) So I can wish it all I want. It will not happen. If you want to see change, there usually has to be change. And we began to wrestle with that for quite a bit, and I was feeling a lot better. I was feeling good and energized, but every time I thought about returning to the lead chair, there was that pit in my stomach feeling of dread, of of overwhelmingness. That's not a word. And I would think, well, no, but I'm excited to get back to life and to see people and all this kind of stuff. And as soon as it was, yeah, you're gonna be the lead guy, it was like, ooh. And Matthew 11, would get whispered in my head, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. And it clicked for me that for me, at least for now, for this season, being the lead guy is ill-fitting. And I don't know, maybe five or 10 years from now, it'll fit better. Maybe it will never fit better. I don't know, but I know that it's right for now. The thought of being at a church doesn't feel like that. The thought of leading a church feels like that. And that was one of the key things for me again that I learned there is a difference between pace and weight. The pace of ministry was never a huge issue. The weight of ministry was an issue. And I could handle the pace but there were some things with the weight that as this healing has progressed, as I've started to felt better and and feel good, I realized that's not a weight that I am equipped to carry right now, at least if I want to pursue this journey that God has me on. And we knew that it was time. I'm not sure I've ever made a harder decision in my life than the one that we made to resign. I thought we would be here forever. We made decisions that would have us here forever. This is all our family knew. It's all our kids knew, but we just knew. That it was time and I remember the day that Liz and I talked about it for the thousandth time and eventually we looked at each other and we just said are we doing this like are we doing this and she's like I think we're doing this And we said well we need to make it official like well how do we do that let's shake on it (laughs) we literally shook hands in our living room and I kid you not no no exaggeration I felt a physical weight lift off of my shoulders and, and, I, and I almost fell, like it was, it was just this physical weight gone, this relief and this lightness that I had not felt, and I don't know how long Liz will tell you that she watched it happen. It was like someone flipped a switch, and it was pretty confirming in that moment for us, at least in our heart and soul, that this was the hard thing to do, but the right thing to do. Even then, we prayed um, specifically for God to confirm this decision with some kind of call, <laughs> some kind of sign. Um, never do that. I've never done that. I don't think you need to do that. I wouldn't preach that you should do that, but we did that. And we thought, God, this is, this is way too big and way too significant for us to make this decision and just be like, I think this is right. Like You have got to give me, God, some kind of unsolicited, weird confirmation that this is true or I'm not buying it. Um, And so as a side note, uh, we are headed to Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, It's a small, quiet uh, community by the ocean um, that has always been a gift for me from God. And I kid you not, the very next morning, I'm looking at Liz, the very next morning, hours later, we got a phone call from a friend in Ontario who we hadn't talked to in ages. We hadn't told anyone about our decision, and she asked, are you guys okay? And we were like what do you know? It's like, we're okay. Yeah, everything's fine. We lied. And she said, well, I don't know what's going on, but I had a very vivid dream last night that you and your family were all at the beach doing awesome. She said, you guys were just at peace and there was a lightness. Mark was frolicking on the shore. And Liz and I just lost it. God is good. And he is faithful, and he is kind. So it's been a journey we never expected to be on. It has led us to a decision that we never thought we would make, but we can't help but see God's fingerprint, fingerprints all over this story. And we firmly believe it's not done. We're we're still on this journey. This is still part of the process of restoration and health. It's it's for our whole family. And and that's how these things work. And that's another thing I had to learn. I was going through the season with a finish line. Oh, I got to be back there by April 15th. There's no finish line. This This is how life works. Living the abundant life that Jesus has promised is not a thing that he will force on you or just give to you without you playing any role in it whatsoever. God wants for you to have it, and he offers for you to take it. But you can't just find your spot, your, yourself in a spot where everything's miserable, and you are exhausted and burned out, and, and you're lacking peace and health and wholeness, and then acting like it's God's fault. What an awful place I find myself in, God. How could you do this to me? I did not get to where I was because of God. I absolutely did that to myself, but I could not have gotten out of that place without God. He is the one who does the work. And this whole free life, this whole light life of not being heavy and ill-fitting, it's there for us, but we just have to make the right, good, wise decisions every day to get closer to it. Choose the things that will give you peace in your life, even if it seems hard. Choose to do the things that will give you rest. Prioritize rest, prioritize health, prioritize your family. Um, he gives it to us. God gives it to us. But you can miss it if you're not paying attention. You can miss it if if you can decline it. I come to give you life and life more abundantly. We're like, yeah, no, not today. And, And in our hearts, we're like, that sounds great. And in our homes and in our calendars, we're like, we'll get to that. And if you're not paying attention, if you're trying to find peace and hope and joy and strength On your own capability if you wake up every day thinking that you need to prove something or earn something to find your value you won't find there is nothing about earning in the gospel i love this quote no clue who said it but it says grace is not opposed to effort but it is opposed to earning right there's still work for us to do we still play a role we still have a role to play in the story but we don't have to earn anything And so I'm here today, and God is good. It's not like I'm out of the woods. There's no such thing as being out of the woods, so long as we're on earth, and so is the enemy. But we can, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, pursue Jesus Christ every day. We can sit in silence with him. We can believe him at his words. We can choose to do the things that will take us to the places that we think will be good. Jesus said, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. So is the decisions you're making drawing you closer to Jesus or further away? Is your calendar drawing you closer to Jesus or further away? You can do the things that are right for you even if it doesn't make sense, even if other people don't think it makes sense. You can live a quiet life and mind your business. It doesn't fly in 2019, but you can still do it, and it'll still be what is good and right for you. We get to be countercultural, church. He has called us out of the world to set a different standard. We're sitting here trying to follow after all the world's lessons of hustle and grind and get to the top and do your best. We should be the ones living a quiet life, going about our business with joy, love, hope, and peace, and waiting for them to look at us and go, wait, what? I mean, we still need to go out and tell people absolutely that there's something scriptural about being Quietly countercultural and living the life that He's called us to and letting the Holy Spirit do the work that we are not capable of doing. And eventually we'll point other people to Jesus because it'll be a supernatural peace that we're experiencing, a supernatural life that we are experiencing. I'm so grateful for God and He has been so good. And he has never been anything more than faithful and kind and gracious and patient. And so I wanna pray for us today. Um, that, that maybe you're here today feeling similar things. That maybe this is a journey that you've been on or you've got a family member that's been on or you've just been wrestling with how am I supposed to live in this constant life of just pushing and striving and earning and work. And, and I, I just wanna pray for us Pray that maybe the Spirit spoke to you today, encouraged you today, is calling you to a different path maybe today, that he's got something for you that is good. You don't have to read scripture and be like, well, that doesn't sound right. It, it's true, and it can be also true for you. There is an abundant life, but we have to do some of the work to find it with God helping us along the way. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you're so good. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that even now you would be moving in this place that if there's people in this room that are feeling drained and depleted and running on empty, God, I pray that they would find the living water, that they would drink of you and you would take away their thirst, that you would call them out of unhealthy decisions, that you would call them out of unhealthy uh, habits that they're in or ways of thinking, that you would stop the lies of the enemy, but they would be equipped with the full armor of God, with truth, with you as our sword, our shield, our rock, our deliverer, you're our defender, you are our protector, you are the one who carries us through this life. We can't do it without you. May we be reminded every single morning, I can't do this without you, God. May we look to you, depend on you, rely on you, cry out for you, wait for you, listen for you. May everything about our lives be aligned with you, in conversation with you, in communion with you. May we find ourselves in communities full of people who will edify and and build up and encourage and strengthen us on our journeys. May you point us to better ways, better truth, better life that is found in you and you alone. Jesus, you're good, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.